So one of my, uh, my youngest boy was uh, cleaning out its closet, which getting him to do that was an absolute miracle in and of itself. It should become a religious holiday. And uh, made a big point of pointing out the fact that some of the ties that he has are out of style and he can no longer wear them. And I told him, it's not nothing to brag about yet. You can only brag about it when your ties are so old that they've come back into style. And the thing is, of course, is that if you are blessed to live long enough, that you come to see that much of how the world functions is in cycles. And so we have inflationary cycles and then we have deflationary cycles. Periods of growth and periods of recession. We have giddy cycles and somber cycles. And the people who make and sell things for a living tell us that there are cycles when people want to feel and be seen as being smart and sensible and safe. And so the clothes they make for us to buy and the clothes that they market for us have simple fabrics, clean cuts, and austere patterns. The cars that are built during those periods are family-oriented and, quote, their market is being well-built. And then there are times that people want to be seen as edgy and revolutionary and frivolous. So those are the times when the clothes that are sold to us and marketed to us are made to look to make an impression that they are bright and colorful. The cars that we buy aren't family-oriented but fun. They aren't valued for being well-built but to make you look good. But one of the things that you can see in this pattern is that in and amongst all of these cycles is that it doesn't seem so much that we own things as the things own us. That we are driven from one cycle to another, that we wait for the next one to come to change our look and our buying habits. But if you take a little bit a look outside of the small part of the world that we live in, there may be in fact some small and different ways as to how people relate to the things that they have. Some 30 years ago, actually a little bit more than that, the Israeli government had undertaken to resolve a long-standing problem, at least in their eyes. It was a modernization project for the native Bedouin tribes of the Negev. The Bedouin, for those of you who may not know, are one of the oldest of the Arab tribes. They are, minus any negative connotations, the gypsies of the desert world. Originally highly nomadic, they would move to find the best grazing lands for their sheep and their animals. But for the past hundred years, we have seen that their way of life of many thousands of years have changed now to a semi-nomadic way. So if you've been to Israel, hopefully you have, and you've made your way out of Yerushalayim, out of Jerusalem, into the Judean desert, you've seen their tents and their small huts with the old broken-down cars in front and the animals running around. Those are the Bedouin. But further into the desert is where you'll find most of them. In a move that was well-intended, the government decided to go about modernizing them. They took away their nomadic lands. The government argued these were public lands to begin with. They gave them princely sums for it. They relocated them to newly built towns. In these towns were government-built schools and modern hospitals. With their newfound wealth, the Bedouin built new homes. I had a chance to visit one. It was over 5,000 square feet. 
stucco and marble, with bronze and gold faucets. It was beautiful. And at night, at nighttime, if it's not raining, you'll see fires burning on the roofs of their homes because they won't sleep in their beds and their rooms. They want to sleep under the stars with the fire to keep them warm. All because, as the Bedouins say, that the freest of all people are those who have nothing, not a roof, no walls, to sand below and sky above. Or as I would say, you can take the Bedouin out of the desert, but you can't take the desert out of the Bedouin. But there is an alternate story, one that also has a very different attitude about money and life. When I was young, I remember reading about the story of a man who was known simply as the Tzaddik of Jerusalem. Now the word Tzaddik in Hebrew is for a righteous person, and this individual was a rabbi named Ari Levin. He lived about a hundred years ago, and he was quite poor. He made a meager living from teaching young children and working as a prison chaplain. In the early 1930s, many of the Jews tried to escape from Europe, but this was not an easy task. Most of the countries refused to admit the Jews, and a good number of them wanted to go to Israel, but the British would only allow a small number of Jewish refugees even into that country. As a result, a large number of Jews entered into underground groups that looked to bring in these illegal Jewish immigrants. And the prisons and detention centers that were run by the British were full of these Jewish activists. Rabbi Levin, the rabbi, went about visiting them and the Arab prisoners as well. The story goes that Rabbi Levin would attend morning services every morning at the Western Wall, which is quite a distance from where he lived. He didn't have a car, and he wouldn't take a bus to save money. And so he walked. And on the way, each and every time he encountered a poor person with a handout, he would take a penny from his pocket and give it over. Never once... Never once would he pass someone and not give, even a token amount, but he always gave. And I think stories like this, the stories about the Bedouins and the story about this poor rabbi, remind us about a central idea of human life, that we are not prisoners of our circumstances, that some of us may have more money and some may have less, but both those with more and those with less can acknowledge what money can and cannot do. Because as we live, we are offered two basic categories to life. Each and every one of us, no matter how much you have or how little you have. The two categories are being and having. Now being is the fact that you and I are alive. The fact that we breathe and move and talk in love. Being represents your truest self, who you are and what you are to others. But the having part, well, you can figure that out. Having is home and transportation, clothing, food, and a job. And one of the great mistakes that people make over and over again is that we think that having is a part of being. When we think that the things that we have make our being better, leading us to think that even people are things to have and not things to be with. Now, the truth is I could spend the better part of this morning listing all the ways that people fall into this, but you're adults and I am too.
And we all know that we've fallen victim to this in one way or another. What I want to say to you is how we can avoid the trap of not only looking to have without thinking of trying how to be. Now, there's an interesting law in Judaism that always catches my attention. We are told that someone who needs to rely on charity in order to survive has to give charity too. Meaning that as money is doled out to the needy, that even the needy need to give to the needy. It's an idea that finds its roots in the Torah portion for this morning. In the early part of Jewish history, there were the 12 tribes of Israel. One of those tribes were the Levites, and they were not permitted to engage in work. What the Levites did was administer to the, to, to the religious needs of the people. They were the cantors and rabbis of an earlier time. So if they didn't work, how did they survive? A tax was placed on every Jewish person to support the Levites and the religious services of the nation. But what is even more fascinating is that, as, is that the Levites had to give as well. In the Torah portion we are told, Cain Tarimu, that as you have taken from others, so too you must give. That they could not just take, that even takers have to give. And in truth, I can't help but think that this applies to us all. Because in one way or another, we all take and in this Judaism reminds us that the way that we can break the mold of simply having and turn to more being is by giving. And that money is just one of the ways that we fail at this. But money is also one of the ways that we can succeed at this too. Money is not the only thing that you have to give, but money is more often the first thing that we stop giving as we turn into ourselves. Because the root of a meaningful life is not the things that we acquire or what we save, but the root of all of our lives is found in the people that we love. It is found in what we give of ourselves to them. And the great paradox of it all is that in giving freely of your time, of your money, of your friendship and your love is actually how we enrich what we have. Or to put it this way, as it was taught to me, that the only thing that you will actually own in your life are the things that you give away. Now I could continue listing this out in more ways, but better I say it with a story told to me by a colleague of mine. He is a well-known rabbi, a popular author, who at the time was working in a smallish shul synagogue. He had a very ill child, and he had applied for a job as a senior rabbi in a synagogue that was much larger and closer to a large American city that would have the very best medical treatment for his son just around the corner. He went for the interview and returned home on pins and needles. Him and his wife wanted the job desperately. A week later, the answer came. He didn't get it. It was given to another person. And he told me that he had never felt so low in his life. The rejection was painful. And the next day, he got a call from a friend who invited him and his wife out to dinner. The friend ordered a bottle of wine, and then a second and a third one. And it was a wonderful meal, he said, with great friends. And after getting home, barely, the next day, the rabbi realized what had just happened. His friend had made him realize that just because he had lost out on the job, 
didn't mean that he wasn't loved. It didn't mean that he wasn't valuable or needed. That dinner with his friends reminded him that the only thing that in fact had happened was that he didn't get a job. He still had the most important things that he would need in his life. Or as I like to say, more often than not, the answers that God will give into your life are the people that he will send to you. Shabbat Shalom.